I'm pulling on my driveway. You know what that means? It's time for another drive to work. Okay, so today I'm going to talk about the story of magic. Actually, I'm going to talk about the story of the story of magic. So today is not about the story itself, but about the different means and ways we've tried to tell the story over time. So it's a history of the story rather than actually the story. Um, there's a lot of story, and maybe one of these days I will do podcasts about different parts of the story. But today is more of a history thing about how the story has been done. So we'll begin, we go way back to Alpha. So when Richard Garfield first made the game, um, Alpha didn't have a lot of story in it. It had a bunch of names. Urza had some glasses, and he had some sunglasses. Apparently he liked vision wear. Um, Mishra had an Ankh. Um, you know, there were, Nevenral was there, he had a disc. I mean, there were people mentioned, but other than people mentioned, there wasn't any inherent story. The flavor text didn't really come together to tell you any larger story. There were just, there were characters mentioned. Um, so the first expansion was Arabian Nights. That did have story, but not magic story. That really was just taking famous stories from Arabian Nights, you know, Sinbad and Aladdin, and bringing those to life. But the second expansion, called Antiquities, now that, my friends, that's where we begin. So what happened was, back in the day, the people that designed the set also did story. There wasn't a creative team at the time. So the people that did Antiquities was uh, the East Coast Playtesters. So uh, Scaff Elias, Jim Lynn, Dave Petty, Chris Page. Also Joel Mick, who worked on the Mirage team. He was the co-designer of Mirage. Also, I believe, worked on Antiquities. So what happened was, by the way, Antiquities wasn't the first design they did. Uh, what happened was, when Richard realized that the game was getting big, um, they, he had every, all his playtesters work on sets, but then when Magic started sort of exploding, they realized they needed to get some sets out. And so they quickly put together some smaller sets. Richard put together Arabian Nights, and East Coast Playtesters, with Joel, put together Antiquities. So one of the things that really drove the idea behind Antiquities, well, there was two things. One was it had a mechanical theme. It was, it, it was an artifact set. It was, the first, it was the first set that had a mechanical theme to it. I mean, obviously, Arabian Nights had a flavor theme to it. Um, so, and the idea was that um, the, the East Coast Playtesters took the story that kind of was hinted at um, very briefly in Alpha, you know, Urza and Mishra, and said, okay, these guys were important. And what they did is they tried to build a story such that um, you were like archaeologists, and as you were playing cards, you would see snippets of flavor text. And the flavor text would hint at the story. So Antiquities did this thing where they didn't really tell you the whole story, but they hinted at a story um, and gave you bits and pieces. And the idea was that you could fill a lot of it in, but that as you gathered these you know, antiquities of, of days gone by, you could learn about where they came from. And that... Underlying it was a story that we now refer to as the Brothers' War. So for those that don't know their magic story history. Um, Urza and Mishra, two young boys, uh, they go in the cave of Koilos and they discover, um, what is it, the Power Stones? Uh, the Might Stones? Anyway, they discover something uh, and they realize it's a new source of energy. They, they become artificers. Uh, Urza eventually becomes a planeswalker. Anyway, they have a, a massive battle. The two of them, uh, through their artifices, they, they make machines, and there's a, a, a mighty war between the brothers. Um, and Antiquities did a lot to introduce new characters. There was Ashnod and Taunos and 
You know, it definitely sort of, for the first time ever, put context to magic. That as you were playing, you realized there was some larger story going on. Um, now, around the same time, magic started doing novels. So the original novels for magic, I think the very first one was called Arena, and it was about um, a, a man who fights with magic. Um, the, after that, there was a trilogy... Uh, I think they're called the Whispering Woods Trilogy. Um, one of the books is called Whispering Woods. Anyway, the main character is a guy named Garth One-Eye. Um, and interestingly, um, Garth was not a planeswalker, but rather uh, he was the victim of planeswalkers. And the planeswalkers kind of ended up being the bad guys in the story. Uh, in fact, in fact, so the very first chapter... Um, Garth is, like, at home, hanging with his family, and, like, two planeswalkers are fighting, and one of them casts a pestilence, and the pestilence destroys the village and wipes out Garth's family. And I remember reading this, and I was like, what? I'm like, so every time I cast pestilence, I'm like, I wonder what family I'm destroying. (laughs) So anyway, it was a very odd choice, being that uh, the game players were the planeswalkers. I'm not quite sure why they chose to make the planeswalkers these villainous creatures, um... But it, it did, it did, one of the problems that, that we'll, we'll address this later, as you'll see, is planeswalkers early on were, were godlike. They really could do almost anything. And it is hard to write characters that are godlike. And like I said, this will, this will come back to become important. Um, but anyway, they did a bunch of novels. Originally, um, the reason the novels actually sold decently well was they put unique cards in them, what they call the book promo cards. Um, and so if you bought Arena, you got um, two cards, like Arena and Sewers of Estark. Um, and anyway, after that, each book had one in it. Um, and um, some, of the, some of the book, uh, most of them were, were kind of innocuous. Um, but uh, one of them ended up being, um, what was it, Mana Crypt? Ended up being really, really good. Um, and that's the only place to get it. And so what happens, you'd buy the book, there'd be a page in it, you rip it out, you mail it in, and then you could get the card. They mail you the card. Um, and we decided we'd change our policy and said we're not going to put unique cards uh, in products as promos anymore. That, that if you want cards, they, they come out of products we sell, and that they're, the promos now are alternate versions of things, but not things that, you can't, that don't exist in, in for sale product. Um, anyway, those novels did okay. Um, and then eventually, they, the next batch of novels started sort of going to actual source material. So the next batch of novels, I believe, were like Ice Age, and they actually, not after the fact, that they'd already come out, but they went back and started to write novels based on card sets. Uh, and the writers they got for those, the, the thing that was funny about those was, because the card sets were finished and done, um, the writers tended to, to use a lot of card material. And so you almost could read the novels and go, oh, oh, I see, he's casting that spell. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's this spell. And so it was almost, almost prescriptive in the amount of, um, like, direct card referencing there was. So meanwhile, um, inspired by antiquities, the people who designed sets, and, and we, what happened was we started to get a creative team. It was called continuity back in the day. But um, there's, so after antiquities was legends. Now, legends had stories built into it, but mostly what it was is Steve Connor and his team 
um, were using characters from the role-playing sessions that he and his friends had played, and that the characters were characters from role-playing sessions. So there was a backdrop, and there were characters, and there was some sense of story, but it wasn't a, mo- uh, a magical piece of story as much as was a lot of snippets of things going on pulled from role-playing. Um, then we get to the dark. The dark had a tone... I think there must have been some story underneath it, but there wasn't a lot of avenue for the story. There later would be a book about it, obviously. Um, and then we get to um, Fallen Empires. Fallen Empires was also made by the um, Antiquities fellas, East Coast Playtesters, and Fallen Empires very much had a story. It, there, it, was, a, it was a war. In fact, there were five different um, factions uh, tied to color, and then each faction had uh, kind of a ruling race and a, uh, a subjugated race. Um, and so there were fights between different factions, and then within each faction, there was a fight between the two races within the faction. So there's a lot of, a lot of, there were, there were some empires that were falling, if you will. Um, and there was a lot of, of conflict built in. So there, once again, the same people sort of built in a story into it. Um, then we get to Ice Age, also done by the East Coast Playtesters, and Ice Age very, very much had a story built into it. It was about Terracier, uh, was a continent on, um, Dominaria, uh, there was a great ice age that came, um, there were, I mean, there were main characters, and there were villains, and, I mean, things happened. It, it, ice age, in some ways, was the, was the first, I mean, Antiquities clearly hint, hinted at a story, but ice age was the first one in which, concurrent to the set, there was a story. Antiquities is kind of like, here's some objects, they tell you something about this story from the past. But Ice Age was like, right now, there's a story with these characters, and the legendary characters showed up, and, you know, there was an ongoing story. And then Homelands came after Ice Age, and Homelands, top down, was about a story, you know what I'm saying? It, it was about Sarah and um, Faraz, and their forbidden love, and the, uh, the place of Ogothra, and the Singer family, and, you know, there's stuff going on. Um, and so what happened was, uh, you started, we started getting a team, like I said, it was originally called the continuity team, eventually become the creative team. They started saying, oh, there is a story, and, there's, and we created a continuity, and we made maps, and here's where this story happens, and here's where these people are, and there started to be a story going on there. So eventually what happened was, um, there was a decision that said, okay, we need to start tying, um, oh, wait, wait, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. So the next thing that happened, actually, I'm involved in this one, is, um, I and a guy named Mike Ryan, Mike Ryan was an editor, I was obviously an R&D, he and I were both writers, and we said, you know what, you know what Magic really needs? An ongoing story. Because what had happened was, here's Ice Age, and Ice Age would tell a story, and then there's Homelands, and Homelands would tell a story, and each set was telling its own story. And we said, wouldn't it be great if there was a story bigger than just one set? That there's a story, there's an ongoing story. And so we pitched what ended up becoming the Weatherlight Saga, or the early version of the Weatherlight Saga. Um, And what we had done is we said, okay... Let's have a cast of characters that we will identify and create and costume and you'll recognize these people. And then these people will show up every set. So it won't just be different characters every time. It's the same characters. Now, there'll be new characters as our cast of characters interacts with other people. But these are our heroes. And so, you know, there's Gerard and Tongarth and Squee and Sisse and Hannah uh, and Karn and Orum and Stark and Crovax and Miri and there's a cast of characters in our, in our floating ship Weatherlight. Uh, and the idea originally was we were going to like tell a story in which our heroes go from place to place. Um, but we were going to have some continuity that the same characters were going through these stories. Um, and what happened was they got in a big team 
Um, and the, the, and we, we storyboarded and we you know figured out what the characters looked like. Um, and early on in Tempest, we actually put a lot of the story. Like not only was there a story, it was mapped out, and we tried to show every piece of it in art. So uh, if you go online, uh, this was in the Duelist, but it's also online, and, and search on our website on you know dailymtg.com for Tempest Storyboard. You will see what I'm talking about, and there we explain the story. It is not just. It is a. Imagine like we had made a movie. That's the kind of you know. It's a story. It's a legit beginning, end, middle story. Now, we were telling a larger story, so there's you know ends in a cliffhanger. But um, you know the story of Weatherlight had kind of been our, our, our. We were going to start with Tempest, and then people were so eager that we did a sort of a pre-story with Weatherlight, the gathering of the of the, of the people together. But Tempest was the beginning of the story, uh, and Tempest really you see most of the art. A little, you saw a little bit of the art in Weatherlight, but that was done kind of after the fact, so not too much art was in Weatherlight. A lot of art was in Tempest. We were telling the story. Um, if you read the flavor text and looked at the art, and I mean, you had to get a little help. That's why we had the storyboard and the Duelist. Um, but anyway, so we started telling the story. There, now, along with that, we there were a series of short stories. There was stuff in the Duelist. There was a, uh, a whole novel of short stories. So we started telling stories about these cast of characters and about what's going on. Um, around that time, I believe we started doing novels. So the first series of novels was short stories on the Tempest story, Tempest Block. And I believe, starting with Urza's Saga, we began doing novels, if I remember correctly. Um, so what had happened was um, uh, the, a different group of people sort of took over the story. And that's for another day. Um, and they decided that in, uh, they, wanted, they wanted to get Urza involved. And so they went back in time and so after the Tempest story, they spend a year doing a prequel talking about how all this was Urza's doing. With the, with the, that, that was sort of built into the story. So Urza's saga was a saga of Urza. And basically through the story, you learn about how Urza interacts with, the Yog, well, with Yogmoth and the Phyrexians and how he realizes they're a great threat. And so the Weatherlight saga uh, became this story of Urza through the Weatherlight trying to stop the, the threat of the Phyrexians. And so Urza Saga, so each set had a story that dealt with it. Um, so there was a book on Urza Saga called Urza Saga. There was a book on Urza's Legacy called Urza's Legacy. There was a book on Urza's Destiny called Urza's Destiny. Um, so during that period, there were novels that actually explained the story of each thing of what was happening. Um, and this is when we first started learning. I mean, we kind of had known it was a problem, but we started to try to tell stories with Urza. And Urza was a old-school planeswalker. He was powerful. I mean, he literally could create and destroy entire planes. That, that's pretty powerful. That's, when you talk about being like a god, uh, the ability to create and destroy worlds is pretty godlike. Um, and they became tough. Um, a lot of what they found was they started telling stories to people around Urza. Um, you know, that like Baron was, his, was the wizard that worked with him and... Uh, Baron was Hannah's dad, for those who don't know. Um, anyway, um, so we started doing individual like, novels to get the stories. Now, what had happened at this time was the following problem, which was the previous set of novels were about magic sets, but they were about already finished magic sets. Here's a book about Ice Age, now that Ice Age is two years old. Um, and what, we, what the thought was is, well, we want to be telling stories about the current things, not the past sets, but the current sets. And so we launched this mighty plan of, well, when Urza Saga comes out, the Urza Saga book comes out. The problem with this plan was that 
their, the timeline between how much advanced knowledge the writer needed to write the story and how much advanced knowledge we needed to do the card set didn't really work well, meaning that um, we needed to know... So, for example, one of the characters, I forget which of the Urza Saga books, but one of the major characters in one of the Urza, Urza Saga books was Zancha. Um, so, for those that, that played Urza Saga, you guys remember the legendary creature Zancha? No, no, you don't, because it didn't exist. Because we didn't know until too late in the process that this character mattered. And so, here's a major, major character in the book that literally didn't show up in the card set. And we had a lot of those kind of problems where it was hard to do the link-up. Now, on top of that, the other problem was, right now, we've spent a lot of time and energy creating processes where design and creative are intertwining all the time and making sure that everything is working together. That didn't really happen back in the day. I mean... It happened during Tempest only because I was in charge of the Tempest story and I was the one designing Tempest. Um, but after that schism, um, there was kind of a break between R&D and the storytelling people. I guess you could piece this together here. Um, and so they really weren't consulting with us. And so there was a story being made and there was a card set being made. And they really did not interlink as much as they needed to. Uh, to the point that major characters would show up in the novels that weren't in the card sets. Things would happen in the card sets. There were major cards in the card set that weren't at all in any way acknowledged. Um, and so it... Some things overlapped. We tried. I mean, I, I actually did the card concepting for Urza's Legacy. So I remember getting notes on the story, and I was trying where I could to um, show scenes. Like, there's a card called No Mercy. So for those who know, Ur- Urza's Legacy actually is, is one of my favorite parts of, of the Urza Saga story. So... Urza had started, he had a Tolarian Academy, the, the Tolarian Academy, and he was messing around with time. Uh, the reason he made, he made Karn Silver Golem, the reason Karn is made out of silver is silver is the one object that can travel through time, and Karn was meant to be, anyway, a whole lot of story. But anyway, there was an accident on Teleria, and Teleria had, um, there were time bubbles, so time, there was a time explosion. And different bubbles on Teleria were trapped such that time went at a different speed. So, for example, Teferi, uh, young Teferi, he was a student at the time, was trapped in a slow-moving bubble, and they had to watch him, and he was trapped for a long time, in which he was moving super, super slow. Meanwhile, the Phyrexians were there and were planning this, uh, I don't know, invasion or whatever. They were planning something, and they got caught in a fast time bubble. And so where they were, they were evolving so fast even though Urza and his people could see they were there, whenever they would try to invade to stop them, uh, the Phyrexians saw them coming as if they were coming in slow motion and easily were able to dismantle any threat that came at them. And so No Mercy shows the Phyrexians dismantling the oncoming attack from Urza. And so, like, we, we tried to recode um, to show stuff. Um, but it was problematic. It was not a perfect system. Uh, and the schism kind of grew wider um, with time, uh, so eventually, um, eventually, I mean, that continued for many years of us doing the novels, and, um, so we started trying to do some other stuff, um, so what happened eventually was, um, so we, if you look at Magic, we had really done, up until, um, uh, when we get all the way through, so after, uh, Invasion, so Invasion was the end of the Weatherlight Saga, after that, there were two blocks uh, that were um, set on Oteria, which was a continent of Dominaria, uh, which is where the story with Kamal and the Cabal took place. 
sounds like a, a little kid's a kid's book. Kamal and the Kamal. Um, and that was a whole story about the Marari and pit fighting. And anyway, uh, we got a little better about trying to match up stuff uh, as we we got a little farther. I guess we we, we started at least having the characters match up, and the characters that mattered in the story were there. Um, but the problem was the novels were written by people that were separate from the building, and it was very hard, and so little details didn't always match up. Um, but eventually what happened was um, we decided that we needed to get off of Dominaria. Uh, so if you look back up through the end of Onslaught, um, technically Arabian Nights was on Rabia. Arabian Nights, Arabian Nights, anyway. Um, uh, uh, Homeland was on Algothra, and then um, uh, Tempest, Block, and Nemesis were on Wrath, and Mercadia Mass was on Mercadia. Other than that, everything in Magic had been on Dominaria. And uh, it's part of the story, Wrath and Dominaria got overlaid, so even Wrath was gone. We didn't really want to go back to Rabia. Algothra was not particularly popular. Uh, Mercadia was not particularly popular. So we didn't have a lot of worlds ready to go to, so we decided that we wanted to make, start making our own worlds. That, hey, part of Part of what made Magic exciting was you went to a new world every year. We should actually go to a new world. Uh, it's a plan we had started to do with, with uh, the Weatherlight Saga, but it kind of got uh, derailed. So we were trying again. Mirrored was our first attempt. Uh, and that's in which the creative team itself made the world. That's the first world, really, where the creative team crafted a world. And we talk about our modern world-making. That's the first kind of real world that the creative team... Uh, that's the beginning, kind of, the modern-day creative team. Uh, was uh, Mirrodin. And, 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 and it was a world in which it was crafted to match what the mechanics of the world wanted to be, which was a, an artifact world. Um, and so, uh, you know, Mirrodin was crafted to be an artifact world. Kamigawa, we tried this experiment of doing a top-down based on Japanese mythology with, with obviously some mixed results. Um, after that was, Ra- was Ravnica, and Ravnica was us building a city world, which went, went really well. Um, and so what we found was both Mirrodin and Ravnica had gone very, very well. Kamigawa had some problems, but we realized what we had done wrong. Um, but we really realized we were getting good at making worlds. Um, so then the big problem that was lasting was the, the, God, the Planeswalker is God problem, which was our, what we wanted to do, really, when we would leave Wizards and go talk to other people about our story... They always would ask, who's your main character? And we were always like, well, uh, um, this year... And it, what we needed was, we needed, we needed something that was sort of, what is magic about? And we sat down and said, okay, what is magic about? Magic is about people fighting with magic. It's about planeswalkers. That's what you, the player, are. What, what, you know, the center of our IP should be our planeswalkers. But the problem was, our planeswalkers were so powerful that it was hard to tell a story about them. Um... And so one of the things I remembered was, so when Superman, Superman got created in the 30s, and when he was first created, he wasn't that powerful, not as you think of Superman today. Um, in fact, if you know, uh, so he was faster than a locomotive. Oh, I'm sorry, he was more powerful than a locomotive, faster than a speeding bullet, able to leap a, 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 single build, a tall building in a single bound. And like, well, why are they talking about him jumping over buildings? Because he couldn't fly. He just could jump really far, you know? And faster than a speeding bullet is fast. I mean, bullets are fast, but, you know, or lighter than a locomotive is strong, but, you know, those aren't particularly, you know, Superman would later go on to, like, be able to change the rotation of the Earth or, like, to clean his outfit. He used to fly through the sun, you know. And, like, well, 
And so what uh, DC, the people who make um, Superman, decided was, oh, they needed to depower him a little bit. And so they, uh, they had a thing called Crisis on Infinite Earths, where they, they sort of revamped everything, the whole, the, not just Superman, but when they brought him back, they, they depowered him a little bit. He couldn't just breathe in space. Like, he had to hold his breath. You know, he needed some oxygen. He could hold his breath for a while, but he needed to hold his breath. And he wasn't quite as strong as he had been. He couldn't rotate the Earth anymore. And he couldn't fly through the sun. Um, we needed to do the same thing with our planeswalkers. We needed to depower them. We needed to make characters that we could tell stories about. And so, um, Brady Donnermuth was the, the head of the creative team at the time. Uh, he and his team came up with this idea of having this time calamity, which took place on Dominaria. Uh, this is Time Spiral. And that the planeswalkers would have to use their spark. So, for those that don't know what the spark is, um, within certain people, and like one in multiple millions of people, it's very, very, very infrequent, they have this thing called the spark. If the spark ignites, which usually causes, is caused by some trauma, um, you are now able to walk between worlds. Understand the average person has no idea that they live in a multiverse. As far as they know, the world they live is the world that is. And so one day something happens, boom, the spark happens, they walk to another world, and like, eye-opening, other world, what? Um, and so we liked the idea of our planeswalkers um, being people that were not so uber-powerful. And so what we did is all the planeswalkers uh, ended up giving up their sparks, some, some voluntarily, some not voluntarily, to, to heal a rift that the, the, the multiverse was breaking down. Um, and basically what happened was it healed the multiverse, and the multiverse sort of redistributed our sparks, but the sparks were not as powerful as they once were before. Um, and we created a, a new batch of planeswalkers. Um, originally, the plan was for them to come out during Future Sight, um, but it ended up, we needed a little bit more time, so they ended up coming up the next set in Lorwyn, uh, what people now know as the Lorwyn 5, which was, um, uh, let's see, white was um, a Johnny, blue was Jace, black was Liliana, red was Chandra, and green was Garrick. Uh, each one was meant to be the epitome of their color, uh, that they were supposed to, you know, that the, the white mage was very white and noble and looking for the greater good, and the blue mage was curious and mental, and the black mage was selfish and out for power and, you know, and such. Um, and they worked very, very hard in stylizing them and giving them a cool look, and, um, and so we made the new Planeswalkers. Um, and at the time, I had a podcast on this, uh, Matt Cavada came up with an excellent idea that said, you know, if we want people to care about Planeswalkers, we've got to bring them in the game. And that led us on the path of making Planeswalker cards, which have become very important to our game. Um, and so uh, we went down the next path of trying to tell stories of the new Planeswalkers. So we wrote some books about the new Planeswalkers, uh, and we, we tried them into different uh, sets we were doing. But then we said, okay, let, let's try some other stuff. The, the, the books... The books weren't doing all that great. Not a lot of people were buying the books. Um, for a while, we put them in our fat packs, and the, the number one means by which we were selling books was through the fat packs. Um, so we decided to try some other things. Um, we did a series of web comics where we had different magic artists illustrate comics, and then we you know, told stories that tied into the different sets. Um, we uh, Eventually, the, the novels turned into e-novels or novellas, um, the Secretist was the one done by Doug Beyer for um, R- Return, to, Return to Ravnica and currently on sale, or I mean, part one's on sale, part two, hopefully by the time this, you guys hear this, it should be on sale, uh, is Godsend, which is um, 
by Jen Helland and is about the Thero story and all about Elsbeth and her story. Um, and so we definitely started doing that. We um, uh, started up a thing called Uncharted Realms, which is a, a column on Wednesdays that is a short story column in which we use it to tell lots of the different stories about what's going on. Um, some of them tie into the big part of the story. Some of them are minor. They just fill in little gaps. You know, what is Kiora doing on Theros? Well, there's a story to tell you. Um, and so we're trying really hard now. One of our goals is, and this has always been a goal, but as we move forward, it's becoming more center, is we want the story to be something that everybody who plays Magic can partake of at the level they want to partake of. And the way I like to think of it is, for the people that don't want to go outside of the cards, we want to make sure that the cards are telling you enough that you have a gist of the story. You're not going to know all the details, but, you know, here's day aside. That kind of tells you something that happens in the story. Um, and we are, I, I will tell you that we are moving even more in this direction, that we're making sure that we want, if you just play the card set, we want to make sure that there's enough story there for you. But on the flip side, if you love story, if you want to dig deep, if you want to know the, the intricacies of how the world works and the cosmology, we're, we're providing that as well. And so what we're trying to do is give a story for magic that allows you to sort of participate at the level you want to participate. Um, and I know there's a lot of energy right now. I mean, we work years ahead. So, like, I, I, I can see the future. Um, story is something that's very important. And... Um, one of the things that I, I, I hope to stress in today's podcast is that we have tried lots of different ways to sort of communicate the story to people. Um, we've tried it in, in written form. We've tried it through flavor text, which I guess is also written, but I mean, we've done it through books and, and, and novellas. Um, we've tried it through comics. Um, I, I didn't even mention, like, right now there's a, there's a comic that IDW puts out about Dax Faden, the, the greatest thief in the multiverse, and that's definitely showing a, a different aspect of magic. Um, you know, one of the things that we hope is we want magic to be big enough that there are different facets of what's going on. Now, always there's a major storyline that we want people to care about, and that storyline is something that's going to, um, you know, be something that people are able to pay attention to. But also, we love having a lot of little tiny details. Like, one of the things I love about um, the Uncharted Realms is that it's great to have um, a story about Elspeth and her journey and what she's up to. But also, hey, I like hearing about Fibblethip. What's Fibblethip up to? That, you know, for those who don't know Fibblethip, he's the little one-eyed guy from Totally Lost um, who's become a fan favorite. I have a stuffed Fibblethip. I have a stuffed Fibblethip, that's hard to say, at my desk. Uh, uh, anyway. Uh, so, um, I am not too far from work. So I, I'm going to wrap this up. Um, so basically, um, the, there is a second part to the story, uh, or second part to this podcast. This is actually part one, but, but I got up to modern day. What else is there to talk about? Uh, and so what I want to talk about next time is, um, gameplay. So I've talked about how the creative team tried to tell the story. So what I'm going to talk about next time is how I, the head designer and my designers have tried to and are trying to tell the story. Um, and so part two of this little um, uh, podcast is going to be about the essence of um, how do you tell a story as a game designer? Um, and, and to me, that is a very fascinating topic. So um, if you enjoyed today. So today, by the way, was more of the history of the telling of the story and um, less so about um, uh, the design that I'll get into next time. Um, so anyway, I'm 
stop to the left. Anything, any final things to, to bring about the story? Um, I will say this. If you've never really dug deep into Magic's story, um, there are a lot, there's a lot there. Um, in fact, the story kind of breaks into a couple parts. Um, there is the story of Urza and Mishra and the Brothers' War. And, and by the way, one of my favorite novels of all time, written by a guy named Jeff Grubb, is The Brothers' War, which told the story of Urza and Mishra. And it's one of my favorite of all the magic stories uh, put in book form. Uh, it is one of my favorites. Uh, I would recommend that. Um, there was uh, a lot of stories that went through the sets. Obviously, we had the Weatherlight Saga, um, the story on Ateria with Kamala. That, that was a two-year story. Um, and then what has happened was one of the things that we've been trying to do is that the magic story, while has pieces, all ties together, that the, earth, the story of the Brothers' War and what happens in Terracier and what happens on the Weatherlight Saga and what happens on Oteria, all that's tied together and it's all connected. And that what you will find, for example, Oteria introduces uh, the Marari. Uh, and the Marari becomes a major important source of that whole two-year storyline. But the Marari is also important. The entire... Well, I don't want to give anything away, but uh, the Marari plays an important role later on, in the ma- a very, very important role later on in the magic story. Um, just like, for example, Nicole Bolas was introduced in um, Legends, actually part of a Legend story, part of the, uh, the Elder, Dragon, Dra- Elder Dragon Legends, and he has gone on to be a major part of the modern-day story. I mean, he, he's one of the big villains right now, of the story. Karn comes from the Weatherlight Saga. In fact, he's one of the, one of the few characters I created that's still in the game. Um, and Karn, you know, comes from a different time period, and he's still uh, a relevant aspect part of the current story. So, you know, as much as we're always doing new things, we're trying to make sure there's some history. I mean, if you have not delved into the history of magic in the story, it is a, it is a very deep well. Uh, uh, there's a lot of fun and interesting things. A lot of stuff happened. Um, some of them I was even involved in the storytelling, and, uh, and like I said, one of these days, uh, one of these days I'll tell the White Light Saga. At least I hope to. Um, uh, let's see, how much does it work? Final wrap up is so definitely delve in deep if you like to know more about the story. Uh, I believe the comics, the web comics, I think are still on the web. Uncharted Realms, uh, the, the, the entire archive is there. If you've never read Uncharted Realms, I I highly recommend reading it. Uh, Jenna's, Jenna's novella is, I, I believe, currently for sale. If you want to read Godsend, I think he maybe even can still get the secret disc if you've never read about Jace and, and Return to Ravnica. Um, but let me leave you with this. Let me, I'll leave you with this thing, which is, um, as excited as I am about storytelling, I have to say that the creative team is upping their game and that good things are coming. Uh, one of the things that I'm really, really excited about is I love storytelling. I come from background storytelling. And I have all this stuff I'm telling you about. I've been, I've lived through most of this. I've been around for a lot of it. And that I believe that the current creative team cares more about conveying the story and, and just trying to find more ways to make sure that everybody can get involved at whatever level they want to be involved. And that the future of the story is very, very bright. That there is a, a lot of cool stuff coming. Uh, and, and I guarantee you, when I'm talking about this two years from now, when, when what, what is my present is your present, uh, you guys are going to be smiling ear to ear that there's so much cool stuff coming for the story. So if you guys love the story, there is a lot of fun stuff coming. Uh, and I'm excited to be part of it, and I'm excited uh, design's going to be a huge part of it, and so you will see. Anyway, uh, as much as I love talking about magic and magic story even more, I like making magic. 
So I got to go. But remember, join me next time when I'm going to talk about storytelling through design. See you then.